Friends, it's good to be with you in worship. My name is Adam, so let me add my welcome to uh, Pastor Mitch. Uh, one of my favorite shows is Shark Tank. Anybody, any Shark Tank fans? All right. Damon John is one of the entrepreneurs on Shark Tank, and Shark Tank is a show on uh, ABC where real entrepreneurs bring their real pitches for their business and try and convince these ruthless investors, and that's why they're called sharks, to give them money to help fuel their business. But before Damon was a famous shark and fashion guru, uh, he had very humble beginnings. He grew up in Queens, New York, and his mother, Margot, would come to influence his life and career in incredible ways. Uh, Damon noticed, because uh, his mom taught him to sew, after Damon noticed that ski hats were really popular, and he noticed how much they were selling for, and he th- thought, well, I could probably make them for less than that. So he actually got his start selling ski caps like on the, on the streets of New York, and his business grew and grew. So this is how FUBU Clothes, a clothing brand, got its start. It's, it's to date, I believe I saw online, made $6 billion. But a long time before that, Damon uh, started printing t-shirts after the ski caps kind of took off, and, and he needed an investment as his business grew. Now, he did all of this while working full-time at Red Lobster. I mean, so this dude was just working around the clock. So after Damon needed to expand his business, grow his business, he was denied a loan by 27 banks, 27 times he was rejected. Like five would be a lot. I would be discouraged after like three. 27 times he heard no. And that's when mama stepped in. Margot John leveraged their home and she took out a $100,000 loan for Damon. Margot's gesture and risk, it helped propel Damon forward because there was no turning back, right? It was sink or swim. The family home, the roof over their head was on the line. There was no going back. Every great story has an inciting incident. And Damon Johns is an excellent example. Author Donald Miller calls an, an inciting incident the doorway through which the characters cannot return. These are events that you mark your life by. Maybe you've had some inciting incidents in your life. Maybe they've been the words, I'm pregnant. Or maybe they've been the words, you're fired. Maybe you recall a time in your life when you got a yes or a no, and and that shaped where you are now. Today in our scripture, we're going to look at an inciting incident that shaped how all of us ended up here today, how it made church possible Because it's the start of the church that we're going to be looking at. It's the inciting incident of Pentecost. So as we study God's word together today, what I hope we'll come up with are some answers, some good answers to the question, what is the church for? So all my movie references are like 20 years old, but remember that line in office space? What would you say you do here? That's what I hope we'll discover in God's word together today. We're on the home stretch of our long story short sermon series, and we've been looking at these inciting incidents all throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of the Bible till the end, these stories that propel the story of God forward, these inciting incidents. The Bible's a collection of 66 books written by by a multitude, over 40 authors, across continents, across languages, across centuries. 
They contain lots of different genres, the Bible does. Uh, It's like its own library, history, poetry, prophecy, law, and letters. But despite all these different things, the Bible is one unified story, the story of God pursuing people to be in right relationship with him. And so we've been lifting up these inciting incidents from the Bible and then inviting you to dig a little deeper throughout the week with us online. So in addition to Zoom groups, I host a Tuesday night live stream on Facebook Live. And uh, we post that. It lives on our Facebook page. You can find it on our Vimeo page through our website. And it's been fun to kind of go beyond Sunday morning in our scripture. And it's, it's been really fun to connect with folks kind of coming on there with me. And this week, I have, some of us will know very well, others of us are new since he's been here. But uh, on the live stream, we're going to welcome former senior pastor of our church, Fred Least. Uh, he is so wise, so down to earth, so funny. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell him this on Tuesday. The best compliment I can get is, you remind me of Fred, right? So uh, really looking forward to connecting with Fred. And if you haven't met him yet, uh, you're in for a treat. So I'd love for you to join us on that. So in our study of the Bible, we've looked at, again, these inciting incidents from God making promises to Abraham in the desert that he would be a father of nations when it was just one dude with no descendants but, but how, how Abraham's descendants grew and how they, they, they multiplied and were eventually enslaved and escaped from slavery in Egypt. And we've looked at their struggles of, of where they put their obedience and who they looked to uh, for, for, for who to be in charge and what to do and, and how that had big consequences for the people of Israel and how there was a promised savior. But when that savior showed up, when Jesus came, it was not what they anticipated or expected. And then this month, we've looked at Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. Well, the part of the story now is, well, what happened next? What was after that? Last week, we looked at Jesus leaving his work in the hands of his disciples. And today, we begin to see the story of what they did next. Our scripture comes from the book of Acts, and Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles. So it's what happened after Jesus ascended back to heaven. The book of Acts was written by the same author as the book of Luke. Originally, it's kind of a two-volume set, and we've kind of split it out in our Bibles. So if you really want to impress your friends, you can refer to it as Luke-Acts. And you can kind of stick your nose in the air when you do. Trust me, they will be very impressed. (laughs) So this is what the people who were sent into ministry by Jesus, the apostles, this is what they did after Jesus went back. So we'll be in Acts chapter two, so let's just get into it with verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So what's Pentecost and who are they? I'm not sure if anybody ever told me what that word meant, Pentecost. I guess we've all got access to information, I could look it up, but I didn't know that for most of my life. Scholar and pastor Demetrius Williams put it well. The word Pentecost means 50th. Greek-speaking Jews gave this name to the agricultural festival of weeks celebrated 50 days after Passover. So Pentecost was a festival prescribed by God in the book of Leviticus, and it was 50 days after the big festival of Passover celebrating their exodus from Egypt, from the mighty acts of God, helping the Hebrew people escape from Egypt. So the festival of weeks, what's that? Well, 50 days is seven weeks plus one. So that's how I got the name, the Festival of Weeks. It was seven weeks worth of weeks, a week of weeks. So that's, that's how they got there. So what would happen is people would come from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And then they thought, well, may as well just keep reserving the Airbnb and stay the extra 50 days. 
And so in Acts 1, we see that they also includes uh, lots of other folks in addition to the disciples. This is from, from verse 14. The women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So you have the disciples and a lot of fo- other folks with them. So they're all together when suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Earlier in the book of John, Jesus compared the Holy Spirit with wind. He told his, his followers, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus had also told his disciples, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit earlier in the book of Acts. So that time has apparently come. This, this crazy thing happens, and it causes quite a scene. The disciples are speaking in other languages. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, because they were all in town for this festival. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. So people had been in Jerusalem for this festival, making it a prime location for an inciting incident. The word for tongues here is the Greek word dialectico, which can also be translated language. It sounds like dialect, right? Dialectico. So these are interpretable other languages that the disciples are speaking. So this speaking in tongues is is very specific, and it's different from a lot of other Christian traditions consider speaking in tongues. Utterly amazed, they, they as the people who had come to see the spectacle, asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So there's kind of an impolite implication here, right? Wait, aren't they from Galilee? How are they doing all this? They're too country to be this smart to be bilingual or to know how to do this. As someone who went to high school in Cape Girardeau, this happens to me sometimes. People think I can't put three sentences together or they're surprised when I do okay, right? So this reminds me of what we talked about last week, that these are normal, ordinary folks. So part of the good news, I believe anyway, for folks like me, is that God specializes in utilizing the unimpressive. Wait, aren't, these guys are from Galilee. How are they doing all this? This wasn't the first time this had happened. And, or excuse me, it wouldn't be the last time this would happen. Later in the book of Acts, enemies would say about Peter and John, the enemy said they noticed that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So the folks performing this amazing scene are entirely unschooled, unschooled and ordinary. And they were speaking the message of God in other languages, languages they didn't know. Now I'm going to read this big list of, of countries that people are gathered from. And I'm just going to give, this is just a free one for me, a public speaking tip. If you ever run into something like this, if you pronounce all these quickly and confidently, people will assume you know what you're talking about. Are we ready? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the words of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So what's, what's helpful to, to keep in mind is the Bible was written on a word count. Right? It was when Luke was writing, Luke Acts, uh, he was writing on a physical scroll and it was, it was precious real estate 
Because the people couldn't carry around 15 million scrolls, right? The book of John ends with saying, uh, not everything Jesus did was written down. If it were, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So anytime we see this level of detail, like we get this list of countries, well, why is that? The author's trying to tell us something. Anytime we see all of that space devoted to details like this, it's wanting to indicate something to us. We know it's important So when we hear all these countries, this is a great map detailing or giving us a concept of where all these people had come from that descended on Jerusalem. As far away as Rome, Asia, Northern Africa. You got people from all over the world here in Jerusalem. I also want to point out that none of these people, nobody was speaking English when this happened. The Bible was not written in English. God doesn't speak American. Like, God speaks all languages, and that was part of the point here. So I think it's helpful for us to remember that we are, inher- we are inheritance of what happened on Pentecost, that we received the faith as a result of what happened on this day that we're reading about. So the trajectory of the Bible is for more and more people to be included. And I believe that's what the details are, are there to show us that the diversity shown in the number of countries and languages being spoken is to indicate that what the disciples will do is ignite a worldwide movement. Now, I'd be impressed if you remembered this picture from many weeks ago. I had to look for it on my computer again. But this, this was to illustrate kind of the trajectory of the story of God. We, now, we didn't talk about the, the, one of these very much, but starting with all, it's called long story short after all. All people in the Garden of Eden, starting with Adam and Eve. Let's leave that up for a sec. Oh, yeah, I started to say all people. I see. Let's put the picture back if we can. It's just a visual to help us understand that we go from Abraham to Israel, and now the church giving God's message, releasing it to all people. That the circle is growing wider and wider. God's promises started with Abraham. And thank you, my man, on the slides. We read in Genesis 12 that God told Abraham, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And we see that coming to fruition in Acts 2. The work of the Holy Spirit gave the disciples the fuel to make the circle grow wider, that everyone would have access to the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of repentance and obedience, and the good news of his death and resurrection. Pentecost is considered the birthday of the church. It's celebrated thousands of years later, usually in May. We're getting ahead of it this year. But it's, it's a recognition of the movement that the disciples initiated. So without the resurrection, we don't have any faith. But without Pentecost, we don't have the book of Acts. And we don't have a church. It's, it's no exaggeration to say that without Acts 2, we would not be sitting here today. I don't know, we'd be all doing a lot of different things. And so the people that experienced this in the first century, they wondered both aloud and I have to believe also internally, what does this mean? What does this mean? And if you read the rest of Acts 2, you can know exactly what it means. Peter produces one of the first Christian sermons ever about the need for repentance and God's call to obedience and salvation through Christ's death and resurrection. I'd say it was a pretty good sermon because in verse 41 we read, those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's pretty good. (laughs) 3,000, that's not bad. Pentecost was the inciting incident for, for, for some of the first Christian preaching ever. 
as, as good Midwesterners, a lot of us just ignore the tornado sirens when, when we hear them, or it's like, oh, it's the first Wednesday or whatever, even when it's not. Have you ever actually had to go and, and kind of cower in your basement? That was the vibe, that was the mood, the setting of Jesus' followers after his death and even his resurrection. They were all together just hiding out. They were on the lamb. And after Pentecost, they go out and preach boldly. They were risking their lives to proclaim this stuff was a message of treason, that there was another king besides Caesar. So what it meant for the early church is the Holy Spirit empowered them to go and spread this message. And so if this was the birth of the church, in 2021, what does it mean for us? What's the church for? I told a story once about dropping my infant daughter and having to take her to the hospital. It's not one I like to revisit, although I am getting some mileage out of it, so that's good. Uh, while I was with my infant daughter and son at Children's Mercy, my kid asked in the hospital room, well, Dad, can we turn on the TV? Sure. And you know what came on the screen? This. Anybody remember this? The preview channel? Oh, I'm going way back now. Now, if, if you were really bored in the early 90s, you would just watch what else was on. You would just watch it scroll. So there was a time when you couldn't just know what was on TV. You had to wait until your channel came up to figure out what was on. And I remember sitting in the hospital room feeling guilty for having to take my kid there, but also being like, oh, wow, the preview channel. I haven't thought about this since like 1997. I guess it's still around, huh? I think that's what a lot of people feel like when they think about church, because they don't at all. Oh, people still do this? That's interesting. Next. Like for, for a lot of folks, the church is just irrelevant. It's like the preview channel. Not needed. I would argue when the church is doing its job, there's nothing that could be more relevant. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, and it means gathering or assembly. Now, we know the church is not a building, but I think what the pandemic has taught us is how crucial it is to gather as the church. That's kind of our thing. The word means gathering or assembly. And so we know the pain that occurs when that's not able to happen kind of according to our preferences and schedule. But when we talk about the church with the big C, we're talking about the worldwide assembly of all who profess faith in Christ. We're talking about the global gathering of saints. So what's the church for? The first thing is the church is for glorifying God. Worshiping God is what the church does that nobody else does. We come together to praise God in the presence of God. You can go to lots, you know, come Halloween, we have a trunk or treat. There's like 50 trunk or treats you can go to. That's not a bad thing. That's, that's my kid's candy supply for like two months. But worship, glorifying God is what we do that nobody else does when we worship. Now beyond worship, Jesus said that his followers are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. The church is not supposed to be a wet blanket. It's a light in a dark place to glorify God. The church is also for people who aren't yet a part of it. I have very little patience for this church is kind of just for us stuff. And I'm so glad to be at a church that that's part of our culture. Because most of the time when you become a part of something, 
Whether you're a subscriber to something, the, you, know, you join Panera Rewards, or you join the Chamber of Commerce, or you join the gym, I'm a member of one of those, I'll let you decide which one. <laughs> you, you join something to get the benefits, but the church is the opposite. When you become a part of the church, you now exist for the benefit of those that are not yet a part of it. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. I'd call that a pretty exhaustive list. The whole earth. We don't just exist for our preferences. We exist to be a witness. A witness is someone who testifies, who can't help but say the truth that they have seen. The church is here to witness to those that don't yet know the love of Jesus and are far from God. I heard one pastor say that we are nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody. I like that. Finally, the church, and finally, this is just what, what I can talk about in about 20 minutes. But the church is for transforming people who transform the world. So I just got done telling you, it's for those who aren't yet a part of it. And yet the point of church isn't just to get more people to come to church. The point of the church is transformation. Jesus told Peter that he was the rock and upon this rock he would build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Gates are defensive, not offensive. And so the church is to be on offense, busting down the gates of hell that represent anything that opposes the good mission of God, anything that oppresses people and keeps the will of God from being on earth as it is in heaven. The church is not a fortress we hide behind. The church is a rescue mission. And friends, what I lament more than almost anything else is that too many people know the church by what we're against rather than what we're for. We can make a long list of failures of the church. A long list. Now my mom's come to church at 10, so you know I had to quote her today. She, t- she told me once, God uses frail and flawed people because that's the only kind there are. And so to me it's good news that God specializes in utilizing unimpressive people, normal folks, to carry on God's mission. Just like those ordinary, unimpressive people 2,000 years ago, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can be filled with that same spirit and we can witness the same power of God moving in and among us. So friends, may our worship be an inciting incident for us to be God's witnesses in Kearney, in Kansas City, in Haiti, and to all the ends of the earth. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, for the chance to be together in your presence, praising you and studying your word. God, we think back to the incredible scene it must have been on Pentecost. And we long to see that same spirit animate us and move in our midst so that people take notice and say, what's going on over there? Aren't those normal people? God, may we live our lives in such a way that people would know that we have been with Jesus. Help us to be your witnesses. Help us to remember who and what the church is for. Amen.